I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Welcome once again to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. And um, some of our interviews have uh, been with survivors and and those who work with them. Um, today we're talking with Liz Alderson, who's been with DASIS for lots of years. Yes. Yeah. Um, so about seven years right now. That's great. Welcome to the show today, and thank you for all that you have done with and for DASIS. And we're gonna rather than and use in, or talk about individual stories of of survivors, which we will continue to do. But today we're going to talk to Liz just about working for DASIS, with DASIS, and how you get to interact with survivors, victims, how whatever stage they happen to be in, but also you yourself and how you got involved in DASIS. So maybe that's where we'll start. Tell us about Liz. All right. So, um... I guess, what do you want to hear first about me and what drew me to the work or what specifically brought me to DASIS? Wherever you want to start. Okay. Well, I guess I'll start at the beginning then. So I went to a private religious school growing up and for senior year, um, they did a senior exit project. And so it was combined with our religion class and our English class. And we had to do something that was based in the community that brought social justice to today's world and social justice that impacted the future generations. Oh, what a great project. Yeah, and I still vividly remember this story in an article that we read that our English teacher gave us, and it was about this village, and this is how they told us what social justice was. And so a village lived was by the river, and one day after many years of this village existing, a dead body came down the river. And so they gathered the dead body, and they paid their respects. They didn't know who or who it was, you know, but they had a funeral and a service and that kind of stuff, and they just then went about their day. And then this continued to happen for several days. A new person would come down, oh, and wow. they would do the same thing. And then at some point, there were several, you know, bodies that were there one day. And eventually, the village had to decide... Do we continue to take these people out of the river and pay our respects to them and bury them? Or do we eventually one day go up the river and find out why people are dying? And that was their choice of social justice, that social justice is traveling up the river to see why people are dying. Oh, what a great analogy. That's terrific. Yeah. So I was 17, 18 when I heard that, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to travel upriver and figure out why people are hurt, why people are hurting, and what can I do to help those hurting people. 
Before you have to bury them. Before you have to Absolutely. bury them. Yes. Yeah. So that drew me to my bachelor's degree in psychology um, because I thought that's what you needed to help people. <laughs> so that's, that's what it, I did. It is one good thing to help people. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I did. And then um, I went back for my master's in social work um, because I learned that in many areas of helping people, um, you need a master's degree mm-hmm. to be able to do counseling and therapy and some just the advanced work that I wanted to do. I was content with having a bachelor's degree and helping people at that level of work, but my real dream and desire in my early 20s was to provide therapy and counseling with people. And so I knew that I needed a master's degree in that. And what drew me from psychology into social work was that social justice piece Mm -hmm. that in that program I could go wherever I wanted to go and do whatever I wanted to do that it was a very like variable program that there are you know master's level social workers in all fields of life doing Mm -hmm. all different kinds of things and so if I got tired of one population I could go somewhere else and do something else and so I liked that because at I think I was like 21, 22 when I started my master's program. I didn't really know sure. what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And including um, when I started at DASIS as an intern in my master's program, I didn't know what I wanted to do. My application was like, I don't, I want to work with people and mm-hmm. I want to help people mm-hmm. and I want to create change in a group. But to me, it didn't matter really what that group was. I was very interested in substance use. Um, I knew a lot of people growing up that um, that had difficulty with substance use. And I saw the, how that impacted their family and their friends and how that person could go and get help and, and change. But if they came back and their family and community hadn't changed with them, that it was very difficult for that person to stay in that, like, new mm-hmm. changed right, role. Right, And so I really liked that. And so a lot of my study um, in undergrad, like, I have, like, a minor in, like, substance abuse services kind of thing. Um, so I was very interested in how that, like, kind of tied to people. Um, and I think that's – it shows that in our society. Like, it's a very big topic. People talk about it. But also, like – very similar to domestic violence and sexual abuse. Many people today, if you were to think of five people in your life, you know someone. It's very likely you know someone who is who has struggled with an addiction or a substance or even gambling or anything like that. They've they've dealt with an addiction and um, and so that's, it was really real in, in the world that I grew up in. And very needed. I mean, mm-hmm. therapy along those lines. So yeah. So all of this brought you as an intern first to yes. DASIS? Yes. So um, at the time, one of the st- I was um, going to a church in St. Joe County um, back in 2013. And um, a staff member from DASIS came to the church to, and um, did kind of like a presentation before the service, um, thanking our church for its donation to the shelter and to DASIS agency um, that we'd regularly bring them food and they have a bread ministry outreach so they'd mostly bread but sometimes food and just other supplies that they Mm -hmm. needed and and that kind of stuff and so DASIS had come to the church just so that the rest of the congregation knew kind of what the church was supporting and they throughout that whole month multiple different you know communities came and kind of shared what the church was doing um but that presenter talked about dasis and its shelter and domestic violence and sexual abuse and i was um 
engaged at the time and attending my now husband's church and knew I needed to find an internship in St. Joe County. And so I was like, this is great because I didn't know where to apply for internships and I didn't really know anything about the county that well. And I was like, oh my gosh, uh, this sounds great. I think I would learn a lot there. And so sometimes you're put in the right place at the right time. Yes. So. And so I went back to my field instructor, kind of the person who would send out our applications to places. And I was like, I found this place. Would, is this somewhere I could intern? And she was like, yeah, we've never partnered with them before, but I gave them I gave my instructor uh, the DASIS website and email, and she contacted the executive director at the time who received my application. I went um, for an interview um, and was accepted as an intern. And so then in September of 2013, I started my internship at DASIS. And um, it, it all started there. I told them in the very beginning, I, like, I had done internships in my psychology program, mm -hmm. but didn't really see them as like similar to what DASIS does, does. And so I was like, I don't know anything. Like I just, and I still kind of say that a lot. Like, I don't know, like it's, you know, <laughs> I just, I kind of roll with it. I'm like, let's, I'm always ready to be a learner. And so I came in just ready to learn everything that DASIS does and everything they did and how they looked at survivors and their community. Um, and so that's where it started. I did an internship um, primarily in the shelter Oh, wow. For like a mm -hmm. whole year, I did. Um, we were required to do like just under a thousand hours of an internship, mm -hmm. and so that's what I did mostly in the shelter. Um, and then I also led support group and worked outside of the shelter. Um, I helped with some fundraisers. I helped um, with presentations. Did a lot of kind of just like anything they needed, I was willing to do. But most of my time was spent in the shelter um, with survivors and their children. Um, doing all kinds of advocacy work with them. Um, and Has DASIS been able to continue to support interns? I mean, have they been able to continue working with interns? Yes, That's yes. Great. So I was um, the first master's level intern that they had had um, either ever in, or in quite a while. And then after my internship, um, another we had another intern that was master's level social worker. Um, and we had another one and another one. And it just kind of has billowed from That's there. Great. And then since being the therapist on, at DASIS since... 2017 um I think we've had not all master's level but we've had I've supervised like eight or nine interns in the past That's two and a half almost three years yeah great experience so now for the interns but uh, what a gift to DASIS to be able to to have some you know folks of this quality be able to come in and, and know what they're doing and really benefit themselves and learn I mean kind of like student teaching sort of which would be a similar experience but but to have the the folks that they're working with benefit from them as well. That's amazing. Yes, it's amazing. And I always joke with um, one of the staff who I did a lot of my internship under, um, Deb Hackworth, and mm -hmm. she's obviously still on staff because she spoke with me here on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. um, we always joke back and forth that I had to pay to be an intern. Mm -hmm. So I had to pay for college credits, right, exactly. you know, to come be an intern. So I spent several thousands of dollars in college credits right. in the ability to be an intern. And so DASIS kind of looks through that lens at interns because Deb and I do a lot of the work with the interns that like we value so much what interns bring to the organization because one they're working for free which is right. amazing two they're putting in hundreds of hours I mean master's level 
no matter right. what their degree is, they're looking at 900 hours, oh, yeah. you know, right. so that's a ton of time and that's away from their family. It's unpaid. They're traveling at their own accord. You know, some of them live locally, some don't. And but then the wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. they bring, the current research they're doing in school, what they're learning in school, they keep us relevant, all that kind of stuff. And then it's like, oh, yeah. And they are paying whatever institution they're going to for these credits that we're receiving. Like, how cool is that? Who who else comes to DASIS and pays to be a part of DASIS? Right. You know, exactly. not the rest of us. Exactly. Yeah. And any kind of a of an occupation that has an internship process, like medical doctors, mm-hmm. it's just years and years and they're not making any money and they're a fount of knowledge of everything that they've learned. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, a system I guess but how else do you get that experience exactly. I mean if you're really going to be certified to do true therapy you've got to have supervised opportunities and as well as being able to give back and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but yeah the the whole payment routine is kind <laughs> of a of a of an interesting uh, dilemma sometimes so yeah. Yeah. right so you're still here you yeah. started as an intern and now you have uh, had opportunities to really kind of of create your career here with DASIS. Yeah, so um, right after my internship, I was hired um, for a brief time as a part-time residential support advocate. So that's just what we call our staff that are in the shelter. Um, And so I did it um, as part-time. I kind of like filled in for people when they would call off sick or when they'd go on vacation. Um, And then for several months, I was the sexual assault advocate for St. Joe um, in some of Cass County. And so I did that. Um, And then our funding um, ran out for that position. Um, And so then DASIS was amazing and found a position for me back inside the shelter. And so um, some people were retiring at that time, and so it made mm -hmm. room. And so, because in the beginning it was like, you can continue to do the sexual assault position. We just want you to know that when that grant is over, we'll no longer have anything for you. And that was really scary (laughs) for a hot second. Um, And then, like I said, some people retired. And so then I went back to the shelter as a full-time advocate in the shelter um, and then running support group. Um, I graduated with my master's. I was still going to school while I was working in the shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was the domestic violence and sexual assault advocate for CAS in some of Van Buren County. Um, And then I left the organization as a paid employee. Um, And I went to do, um, we didn't, DASIS at the time didn't have any master's level work. You know, we didn't have mm-hmm. a therapy grant at the time. Sure. And mm-hmm. so although I loved DASIS, it was, I needed a job that um, in the state of Michigan, I had to accumulate hours as a limited licensed master's social worker before I could apply for my full license. Mm-hmm. And so the work I was doing at DASIS didn't qualify to the oh, state's right. mm-hmm. level of master's level work. And so I left DASIS and I actually took my other dream job, which was a different internship that I had had. And so I worked with severe and persistent um, mentally ill and chronic substance users um, for about almost two years. Um, But during that time, I was a volunteer for DASIS. I was asked to be an auxiliary board member. And so I did that for several months. And then I was asked if I would become a full-time board of director member at DASIS. And so I gladly took that position. And it was while I was a board member that we received our first grant for therapy. 
And so I applied for that and then had to, you know, resign from the board to take the therapy Mm -hmm. position. And so um, I will always remember that day. It was my birthday. And our executive director at the time called me and she goes, "Um, I just want to let you know that I'm going to need you to resign. And so I instantly thought I didn't get the position. And I was like, that's okay, because I love DASIS and what DASIS does. And I'm happy with being a board of directors member. And then she goes, from the board, because I want you as my therapist. And I was like, okay, like, (laughs) thanks. And then she was like, also, can you know, you like you start January 1st. And I was like, my birthday is like right around Christmas. So I was like, um, can I start Tuesday? Because like, from that, from the day she called, like to when she wanted me to start, it was like two weeks and a day and I was like mm-hmm. I need to tell my current boss and like mm-hmm. give them a proper two weeks notice right, right. um and so yeah so in January 2017 I returned as um the the first therapist that we've ever had um at DASIS so I was a therapist at DASIS and then um which is still my current role and then this year we added a second therapist so now I supervise our second therapist um and like I said earlier, the interns and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's if we look at like all the different like micro positions that I've had. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of movement in DASIS. My my resume sometimes like I have a little sentence in there that explains why I changed so many positions in DASIS. Because if you looked at it, you're like this three months, that three months, this right, a year, right. that a year. And it's like funding issue, you know. Right. <laughs> but DASIS has been very fortunate to have you be able to stay with DASIS. And then also you have been able to benefit from all the different areas that you've mm-hmm. been able to work in. Um, and bring your experience and expertise to those areas mm-hmm. as well. So so over the past several years, you've been um, providing therapy and um, I'm sure learning from people all the things that they're going through and, and how you can, um, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but the process of, of helping people get there. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure people ask you this all the time. How how do you not do this in your head 24 hours a day? How can you cope with all of the tragedies and difficulties that people are going through? Yeah, yeah. And you would need therapy yourself, <laughs> I would think. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you asked that because a friend of mine recently asked that. Um, similarly had seen our shelter and the work that we did and just the the gravity of of life that we don't realize other people are living right it was kind of right in her face and she said the same thing how do you not go home and cry every day Mm -hmm. and I just I looked at her just stoic and was like because I have to come back if I let this work affect me to my core like it does but I have to put that wall and that barrier of like, this is work and my personal life has to be different. I have to remove myself. If I didn't, I couldn't do this work. I would be no help to my clients. I would be in therapy. I could be in the shelter myself. You know, if I was, if this was, if I viewed the world that way and I have mm-hmm. to remove those two things. And yeah, she was, she was crying and she was just like, I can't believe this is what you do. And, you know, I kind of referred it back to what she does. She works in the medical field. And I was like, you see death every day, don't mm-hmm. you? And she was like, yeah, but it's different. And I was like, it is, you know, these, these women and children and men that we serve, they go on living a life after they've experienced a horrific tragedy. But I, it also relates back to my internship. And I learned this from Deb and I have to give her the credit 
of our shelter has this giant wooden door at the front of it. And when I put my key into that, and I don't always go to the shelter now, but as an intern, when I walked up to that door and I rang that doorbell or I put my key in that door, that was the moment that I left my personal life in my car. Mm -hmm. And when I walked in through that wood door, that's when I allowed the work that I was doing happen. And so that wood door still symbolizes that to me. When I left the, you know, when I would leave at night to go home and I would turn around and lock the door behind me, I was leaving all of those stories, all of those people at work because I couldn't take them home with me. I couldn't rescue them and it would be no good to me or them to take them home with me. And so I had to leave those people, you know, I had to leave them at work. That is an interesting term that you use too. You you don't rescue them, Mm -mm. but through therapy, you're giving them tools to save themselves or rescue mm-hmm. themselves pretty much mm-hmm. um which is a different take than when your friend was saying well if you're trying to rescue them you don't you have to like keep them with you the whole time so mm-hmm. that whole approach just makes so much sense mm-hmm. and it's a lesson learned like you said over years you know it's funny to look back and i mean it feels like my internship was just yesterday mm-hmm. and to know that that was you know thir- that was 2013 so you know six years ago in a few months I will have started at DASIS and and the lessons that I've learned not just how I'm a better therapist than I would have been or a better human or a better member of society or a better advocate because I still think of myself as an advocate I provide them therapy but I'm still advocating for survivors in our world oh right you know I I'm still like come on we can change we can be better people um I'm still advocating um for people that are in chronic addiction and and suffer Mm -hmm. mental illness Mm -hmm. and have that history that we need to end all of those stigmas around who we are as people. Um, So at the end of the day, I'm still an advocate. I'm still, my goal is social justice at the end of the day is why are people hurt and how can we help them? It's just, I've refined that village to be something really small. Um, But it's that, it's that what, it's, that's what drives the work that we, the work that I do. And Mm -hmm. I, I think the work that DASIS does, um, it's an amazing, it's an amazing community to be a part of in the way that they have taught me so much. And yes, that I've been willing to give back. And I still think, have I given back? Like, have I given back to DASIS? And I know I have, yes, you but have. there are still those like other people have been there longer, have done better work, you know, have, have done different things. Um, but yeah, it's amazing to see how this organization has changed and flourished and, and to see to see our survivors you Mm -hmm. know out in the community out Mm -hmm. in the world um to hear from them for some of them will call the shelter they'll be like can i call even though they're you know leaving and they're going to their own house and they have their own job and their own car like can i call just to check in and it's like always of course you know give the 1-800 number a call just to check in and so it was so fun working in the shelter because they knew what days i worked and what times i worked and they would call just to check in and be like i'm doing good and so to see them in the community or they'll come and they'll bring donations. I mean, girl, again, girls that I saw in 2013 will come back to the shelter and be like, I have, you know, extra, you know, baby formula or diapers or just, oh, you know, something. Wonderful. And so you'll see them and they're always like, you know, it's it's good to see them out in the world right. doing things. Right. And, we do, and we do because we also get caught up in the women and children and men that come back for services. 
And so that's, you know, that's, there's always that other side the other to it. End there's of the spectrum, right? You yeah. see them all. Yeah. yeah, there's that heartbreak in the ones that return. And then there's that joy for those who have had the support. And so I look at the ones that return and think, okay, how can I help you differently? It'll Especially, be better this time. Yeah. How do, mm-hmm. how do we help differently? How do I support differently? You know, we're in this together. We're going to walk alongside you for the rest of your life. How do we how do we partner with you and support you in whatever your goals, dreams, desires? And the are. team the team at Dasis, I mean, while you offer all of the support to those you are serving, you serve each other. Mm-hmm. The team that you that Dasis has put together is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that it's not just self care, but it's like group therapy almost mm-hmm. going to work because you do support each other so mm-hmm. much and enabling you then to be able to work with everyone else Mm -hmm. yeah we have to i mean at the end of the day we have to because yes the the gravity of the work that we do is intense and it as much as i don't want to take it home with me i also don't want my coworkers to take it home with me Mm because i want them to have their personal lives that they you know deserve and have but i also want them to come back to work and be the employees that i know they are the coworkers, the advocates you know that they're amazing too and they do just as great of work and I want to see them and I want them yeah to not you know yeah the 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 coined terms nowadays are burnout and self-care so I don't want them to burn out and I do want them to have proper self-care and so it's always having that conversation with them I the staff that you know I supervise um, whether it's interns or staff I'm, I'm checking in all the time what'd you do for self-care and it's yeah I hate using those terms but it is it's like what did you take care of yourself and how did you do it? And I constantly have this conversation with them of when they're like, oh, I watched a movie or went to a movie or I did that. I'm like, what, you know, this Netflix and chill thing that is what it is in this world, right? right? That's in my mind, depending on how you're doing it, it's not self-care. If I go home and I go to Netflix and I put on, you know, SVU. And so I'm constantly seeing more sexual abuse on TV, Mm -hmm. right? That's not self-care. No. That's burnout. Mm-hmm. And if I'm watching a TV, any TV show, if I turn on Friends, because I know it's on Netflix, and I just watch it and I numb out, that's not self-care either. Right. Self-care is pouring back into my own cup. Mm-hmm. And so it's what are you doing that you enjoy? You could self, I mean, Friends can be your self-care, but it's numbing, like don't let it get to the point of numbing out. Pay attention to the show, watch it, find yeah, do the... it because you want to do it, not because yeah. you don't want to do everything else. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Find the joy in whatever mm-hmm. you're doing. Sure. Replenish your cup and then, you know, go on. But yeah, I'm constantly asking, are you numbing out or is that self is that really self care? Because it kind of gets confusing in today's world, especially right. technology. A lot of times if technology is involved, it's not really self care. You know, are you on your phone playing games? Well, that's just like numbless right. activities right. nowadays. Right. And so enjoy your your own family and mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make sure that you are in the moment when you're when you're there, which mm-hmm. would be you know, yeah. good self-care as well. Yeah. Right. And not necessarily think of it as this is I'm going to do this because I need to. But as you said earlier, be able to leave work at mm-hmm. the door mm-hmm. and enter your personal life and be in it. Mm hmm. So yeah, be present in it. Yeah. And knowing when you need to do it. That's the other part about DASIS that's amazing is that 
our our staff is amazing and our leadership staff is amazing i am a privileged to be a part of the leadership staff and knowing that you know i can i can call my executive director and i can be having a bad day and i can cry on the phone to her i can go into her office and cry and um i can text her and say i need tomorrow I need a day or I can text her in the morning. I've called her and I've, you know, it's been seven, eight o'clock in the morning and I'm, and I've been like, Hey, this happened. I need a day. I will not be effective to my clients Mm -hmm. today. And I need a day. And she's like, you've got it. You know, and she knows that I'll then get off the phone. I'll contact all my clients and reschedule and do all of those logistic things. But that I'm going to shut off my phone. I'm not going to respond to emails. I'm going to take that personal day that she's given me. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to be a different person because I have to. And I've done that. And I've been privileged, you know, in all of um, the... Because since I've had different a lot of different roles, I've had some different supervisors as well at ASIS. And all of my supervisors have been able to give me that, mm-hmm. that gift of, okay, mm-hmm. we'll cover your shift. If it was in a shelter, we'll cover your shift or find coverage. And I was, my coworkers were able to cover right, for me. You do you know. take care of each other. Yep. And that I was able to then just walk away and be like, I need this day. Mm-hmm. I need this time. You know, I have a supportive family and community and friends. And mm-hmm. so we're able to then be like, okay, I need to go take care of myself. My husband and I just this past week, um, drove up to torch lake for the day oh, just to fun. just to hang out just mm-hmm. to see what the rave was all about we've never been there oh, in michigan toe in? <laughs> yes it was beautiful you could see the bottom of yeah. it oh my gosh the lake is so lake. clear and so beautiful but it was that piece of the three-hour drive mm-hmm. driving around the lake sure. seeing the different things right. coming home doing what we wanted for the day and no i was unattached mm-hmm. you know from work from clients, from concerns, anything like that. And it was the day that I needed after, you know, the work that we do in our personal lives too. I mean, you know, they're mm-hmm. chaotic and right, sure. crazy just as well. But <laughs> so. then you're also able to cover for others as, mm-hmm. as you're all taking care of each other at the same time. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, even as a therapist, I still have um, covered shelter shifts mm-hmm. when people have called in or tragedy has happened and they need they need to leave. Um, I do on-call support just like the rest of our leadership team does. So um, when they have, you know, um, a mental health crisis at the shelter or um, a crisis call is just really hard on whatever advocate, you know, took that call. Um, I come into the shelter, you know, in the middle of the night mm-hmm. or in the middle of the evening mm-hmm. um, to help out with something mm-hmm. or I talk on the phone to another coworker mm-hmm. after they've had a bad day. Um, I don't obviously I don't provide them therapy. I'm there as their support person and their leadership team person. And um, just kind of we all kind of do that for each other. Yeah, that we can call each other and say, Ooh, I had a hard call. I had a hard client, you know, because clients are telling us some really horrific things right. that sometimes I'm like, how do people do this to each other? I really am. I'm like, what? Like, you know, right. and I hope I always never. I hope you never lose that sense of, oh, my gosh. May, yeah. How could this possibly Right. Yeah. Because that, that'll be the day I retire. That no, This work no longer affects me. And I know that. Um, but, yeah, so we hear these horrible things and it's just like, you know, we're bound by confidentiality. So it's like, how do I have support? We always are talking about confidentiality and stuff. And so then it's instantly like, oh, I know my girls, you know. And so mm-hmm. I say that because we are currently an all-woman staff. We haven't always been. I'm sure we won't always be. Um but and so I know my girls I know they've got my back I know they're in my corner Mm -hmm. and whether it's personal or work 
they will support me and they will listen and they will, they'll give me sound advice or they'll just listen and mm-hmm. cry with me. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's having both of those mm-hmm. worlds and they know I'm, and I'll tell them, you know, I'm calling for support or I'm calling because I need to get this off my chest. And so we know the difference with each other, especially after all these years right, um, right. being together and just having that support. And then being able to work with your clients and support them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah, if I didn't have the coworkers I had, uh, we wouldn't be able to do the the great work that we do. And so it's that both and, right. you know, like right. we have to support each other and we have to do this amazing hard work and be there for each other and be there for our clients and that balance of, yeah, your personal life, your self care, the crisis work that we do, mm-hmm. you know, all that. Right. Right. It's like the, it's like the old carnival days and being the guy with the plate spinner. You oh, know, yeah. we've all got oh, these, yeah. we've all exactly. got these plates spinning. You've got right. your personal life and your right. kids and sure. this and that. And, but then you've got work and this client and that client and this and that. And, and having that ability to know which plate needs the spin at which mm-hmm. point in time is, is a great mm-hmm. uh, skill to have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it benefits, I think a benefit that I have is when looking at like my work experience in like the realm of social work, social justice, stuff at DASIS, my internships that I had in um, masters and in my undergrad, all that kind of stuff, everything I've always done has been crisis work. Mm -hmm. And so I know I have this and I, and people have told me as well, but like, I know I have the ability to remain calm in Mm -hmm. crisis situations. Like chaos would happen at the shelter, just like, horrific things and I would just be like okay and we this is what we have to do you know like it like it affect like I can feel it inside and then I'm like eh. and I just stone face all right let's do this and then afterwards like when the calm has settled right and everything's put away all the fires are out none of the coals are burning anymore that I'm like okay. then you get your own chaos <laughs> yeah then like the adrenaline is like wow. but it's like yeah it's yeah. just that like instant calm of like there's work to do there's other people that need us more. I can freak out later, even mm-hmm. if it's in my car, in the parking lot. You know, you just play the music really loud. You sit there and park and right. you just, ah, and then you're like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> so if you're listening to us today and you're thinking, you know, I really could use some people to talk to, someone to maybe show me the way out of this situation that I'm in, mm-hmm. please give us a call. We have an 800 number, one 800 828 Uh, 24 hours it is staffed by wonderful people, not just Liz, but everyone at DASIS is able to um, talk with you and and help you head in the right direction. Um, Our website is wonderful, dasismi.org, and uh, we would sure love to hear from you, and and maybe you'll get Liz if you're lucky. (laughs) Anyone who is at DASIS is more than able to help, and Uh, We're very fortunate to be able to continue to do what it is we do, and we look forward to hearing from everyone. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff 
volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.